the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. You know, I I finally realized they just say that longest-running business because it makes me sound like an old guy. (laughs) And Jarrell says, "You? what do you mean sound like? You are. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, (laughs) with that um, less-than-stellar introduction to tonight's show, welcome to another edition of Lifeline on this wet, rainy Tuesday afternoon. How are you? Trust you're having a good day so far, and uh, wherever you might be headed on this Tuesday, awfully glad you decided to take us along. We are here, of course, Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Speaking of the rain, we've got uh, some crazy traffic today. Did everybody forget how to drive in the rain? Oh, my unbelievable the roads and so if you experience some of that on the way to work we're going to try to hopefully make it a little bit less painful for you on the way home we've got michael bennett hanging out in the kfax traffic center tonight so keep you on top of all the uh, traffic spots to avoid and uh, by the end of the two hours a good time shall be had by all or half of you or something any rate all right let's get down to cases here long time Friends of not only this radio ministry, but um, certainly of organizations like the Bible Answer Man, think of Hank Hanegraaff and and so forth, I think uh, will appreciate our introduction to a special guest tonight who, um, while not really new to KFAX, has a new time slot here on KFAX and uh, one of the newer ministries here on AM 1100 that focuses very much on this idea of the importance of studying to show one's self-approved. And, you know, if anything, we have discussed on this program down through the years many of the challenges that the church faces when we are um, somewhat impotent because of lack of knowledge. Certainly, I think the notion of studying to obtain a solid Christian worldview that shapes your thoughts and ideas and being prepared to, as Paul said, give an answer for the hope that lies within is something we all as believers ought to be doing. And yet, sadly, it seems as if a lot of that is on the decline. In fact, if anything, we could say that there are many in the church today that suffer from biblical illiteracy. And yet, the one tool that we have at our disposal to not only grow us strong, Give us the tools and knowledge and hopefully wisdom to make it through just everyday life, let alone, most importantly, to help draw us closer to the Lord, understand more about God's grace, God's love, God's mercy, God's judgment, God's character. Of course, that one tool, that one resource is God's Word. And spending time to study a solid Christian apologetic Um, is important because we see, as the Bible told us would happen, 
um, every sense of crazy doctrine that comes along. People just latch on to whatever that sounds good and feels good to satisfy their itching ears. And yet God wants us to go back to his word and to test the spirits, to try the spirits and see if they be of God. And certainly I know in listening to Steve Gregg, he believes in that. He is the host of The Narrow Path, heard now Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX, a live call-in program that answers your Bible-related questions. His broadcast can also be heard in a reprise edition every night at midnight. Steve, great to have you on the show, and uh, I guess again, welcome officially to KFAX. Well, thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show. And uh, great to spend some time here with you today, and and I think largely give our listeners an opportunity to get to learn a little bit more about you, your passion for Christian apologetics and for God's Word. You uh, you grew up in a Christian home. I did. I was uh, converted as a child, and uh, I was a, a leader in the youth group of my church when I was at, in my early teens, and uh, I went into the ministry as a Bible teacher when I was uh, 16, Still in high school, I was teaching every day at my school at lunchtime, and then when I got out of high school, I went into more full-time type uh, teaching. I was struck, uh, you, you made references to the impact that Dr. Graham has had on your life, and of course, we've just recently lost him after so many years of, of ministry, and, and certainly a man that it could arguably said uh, has perhaps, outside of Jesus himself, impacted more lives across the planet than, than maybe any other certainly living individual today. Yeah, that could probably be said of him. I, he was my hero for my entire lifetime. I'm, I'm 65 years old this year, and uh, you know, I've never there never was a time in my life where Billy Graham wasn't uh, influential in it. My my parents, in fact, the very night I was born, my parents were sitting in a Billy Graham movie and had to leave because my mother went into labor. So. I was listening to Billy Graham inside the womb there before I was born that night. <laughs> well, talk about early influence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I, I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade in Los Angeles when I was 10, and uh, I was a counselor at a Billy Graham crusade in Anaheim when I was 15, so uh, I was quite uh, a fan of Billy Graham. So by the time I was 12, I had read all the books that he had written at that time, and uh uh, they didn't have cassette tapes yet, but they had uh, a few of his sermons on vinyl records. I used to listen and re-listen and re-listen to those. Some might argue today in the Church that, well, that methodology of evangelism is sort of passe, the the notion of gathering big crowds together in a stadium and somebody getting up and uh, singing a song and maybe a choir does a couple of hymns and then a speaker comes and brings a message and then there's a, an altar call. But I have to wonder if, if, it's, if it's passe or if, frankly, we may need maybe a, a revival of that style of just pure, unadulterated preaching of God's Word. I mean, it, it would occur to me as I look at some of the Word of Faith teachers out there and some that uh, that focus seemingly more on having more of a, what should we say, an Anthony Robbins uh, feel better about yourself seminar as opposed to truly preaching Christ crucified on the cross, that maybe we need more of that? What do you think? Well, I don't think anyone gets saved by hearing anything other than the Gospel. So unless the gospel is being preached, uh, you know, it's just a feel-good uh, self-help kind of a meeting. No doubt there are places for those, but I don't see anyone getting saved through those. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know how anyone could decide that uh, crusade evangelism is passe. 
I think it's working well for Greg Laurie and uh, and for other preachers like uh, him who are still drawing crowds and, and reaching thousands that way. It's not the only way to evangelize, certainly, and and yet it's uh, as long as people are getting saved, I don't really see how that could ever be something that we should give up, unless it became a poor economy. I mean, if it became so expensive to rent a coliseum or something, and uh, there were no more people getting saved than might get saved by passing out tracts, <laughs> then, then one might argue uh, against the crusade. Uh, but to tell you the truth, uh, souls are worth an awful lot. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? So apparently a soul is worth more than the whole world. And, uh, Absolutely, and you know, ev- evidenced by the 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 utmost act- sacrifice made on the cross for that very notion of um, giving mankind an opportunity to be forgiven of our sins, to experience grace, and and most importantly, I've always marvelled at the notion of God wanting so much to walk in fellowship to have communion with his creation, that he would make that kind of sacrifice. Uh, that's, that's a mind-blower, I suppose. We'll never really fully understand or appreciate till we get to the other side. That is uh, no doubt correct. What is your, uh, your sense in terms of um, the lasting impact of Dr. Graham? And I don't want to spend too much time on him today, but, but since he's been such an influence on your life and, and just having recently lost him, uh, I, I guess it's hard to, to measure a man. In my mind, one of the incredible things about him is the fact that down through the years, and we can rattle off a half a dozen here at the top of our heads of uh, preachers and uh, televangelists that have been caught up in scandal, and while maybe there might be a time or two that uh, Dr. Graham misspoke, uh, ironically, there has never been an occasion anybody has said that there was any impropriety, that there was anything of, of financial concern or, or any sort of a challenge to his marriage relationship of, of uh, so many years to Ruth. In, in my mind, the level of integrity that that man showed for the sake of uh, and, and on behalf of the gospel is one of the things that I'll remember most about him. I think that is what made the impact, is that he lived uh, the Christian life consistently uh, prior to preaching the Christian life. Uh, I think that if a man preaches a certain way of living, and he does not follow that way of living himself, and unfortunately that has been proven to be the case with a lot of public uh, spokesmen, uh, sometimes self-appointed perhaps, spokesmen for the gospel, uh, then I think it just brings a reproach on Christ. But uh, Billy Graham, uh, they looked for dirt on him for his whole life. He, he was in public, he was in the public eye, speaking for Christ for close to 80 years. That's that's longer than a lifetime for many people, and yet uh, no dirt was ever really found on him. You say he misspoke a few times. Well, who doesn't? Uh, who doesn't misspeak a few times? Uh, I mean, if everything we said was being scrutinized by the public and the media and so forth, I'm sure that uh, every one of us would have a lot more embarrassing things oh, on und- our record. Undoubtedly so. In fact, I, I typically end this show every night thinking, now, why don't I say it like that? <laughs> if you've just tuned in, we're visiting today with Steve Gregg. He is the host of The Narrow Path, a relatively new program here on KFAX. We invite you to tune in weekday afternoons at 2 p.m. with a reprise broadcast at 12 midnight. He essentially takes calls from listeners to his program from across the nation and entertains Bible-related questions and gets into some good, solid Christian apologetics. We'll get back to more of our visit today with Steve Gregg as this edition of Lifeline continues. 
Right now, though, as promised, let's get a look at traffic. I see some clouds there on the hills, kind of looking dark. Going to get some more rain, no doubt, before maybe even the commute is over with tonight. Let's see what's going on and how you're doing on your way home with Michael Bennett, the latest in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are back to our visits. Steve Gregg, our special guest. His new program, The Narrow Path, can be heard every Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX, and then a a complete hour, the reprise broadcast at midnight right here on AM 1100. And um, we were talking a bit, Steve, before the break about the the influence that Dr. Graham had on your life. Another one that that, uh, had a big influence, apparently, and, and certainly someone that is highly respected by so many KFAX listeners, kind of the guy at, at the core in terms of um, unleashing the whole Jesus movement that happened largely down in Southern California, the beaches there in Costa Mesa and uh, Orange County in the 1970s. And that was that was Chuck Smith. Tell us a bit about that experience. Well, I was uh, very blessed to live in Southern California. Well, I was born and raised in Southern California, but I happened to be living in the portion where the Jesus movement kind of took off in, uh, in Orange County. A friend of mine from high school took me to Calvary Chapel back in 1970. This is when they were in a small building, but they were already packed out with young people. And, and uh, you know, I, I just saw a revival taking place there, which I loved. I'd been in the Baptist church for all my life and had always, you know, loved the Lord, but I had never seen revival like what was taking place in the Jesus movement. And so I started going there every night of the week, and I listened to Chuck. Chuck would preach probably three or three or four nights a week, and they'd have other teachers teaching the other nights. And I went every night and uh, definitely had an impact. Chuck Smith was uh, just a, a great role model to these young people. He was our, uh, most of the young people were my age. I was in my teens, and uh, he was like the age of our parents, but he was very loving and warm and uh, intelligent and uh, a good communicator, and it really attracted a lot of a lot of kids. And uh, of course, I, I just said all those things about Chuck as if that's what attracted them. I think the Holy Spirit attracted the people because I think there was a revival happening. But Chuck happened to be the man that was most visible in it, and uh, became a role model to many people who themselves, many of them, became Calvary Chapel pastors. I myself became an elder at a Calvary Chapel in Santa Cruz uh, years later, uh, but uh, that was not until the 1980s. Uh, but I but I was in the Calvary Chapel movement from the early 70s on. I'm not in Calvary Chapel now, uh, but because I moved away to Oregon in 1983 and lived in a little town where there was not a Calvary Chapel, and I started an independent Bible school, and I haven't really been affiliated with uh, Calvary Chapel since then. But Chuck Smith was definitely one of my first mentors in ministry. If, if Billy Graham was the inspiration for me to start preaching the gospel when I was young, and he was, uh, Chuck Smith was the inspiration for me to become a Bible teacher, which is what I later, uh, I would say I am. I'm not, I'm not so much an evangelist as a Bible teacher now, and I have been for the past, well, since about 1970. So what's that been, almost 50 years? Do you think a lot of that is due in, in part to Chuck's just 
laid-back approach to this, and I ask that question because there was certainly a generation then uh, coming through the early days of the Vietnam War and uh, the hippie area of the 1960s, the love movement here in San Francisco by, uh, what, 67, 68, um, and the notion of making Christianity, making Jesus approachable, where heretofore many people thought, well, you know, if you want to go to meet with Jesus, you need to go to a a very well-crafted, well-designed church building that had lots of stained glass and arches. You had to listen to Scripture being taught from someone from a very ornately carved pulpit uh, who either wore a suit or wore a clerical garb, and this is a place that you went, you were quiet, you listened for an hour, um, you didn't want to talk too loudly because you didn't want to disturb anybody, certainly don't ask any questions, and then go home at the end of the hour-long experience. Do you think Chuck's approach to saying, hey, come as you are, if you're wearing flip-flops and just got off the beach from uh, hitting the waves, that's okay too, just come on in and... Uh, the important thing here is the experience with Jesus, not the experience of how well you think our pews have been polished. What do you think? Well, yes. I mean, actually, the inspiration for Chuck's attitude was his own wife. Chuck actually didn't like the hippies initially, uh, but his wife did. She had a real heart for the hippies, and she used to weep over the lost generation of the 60s. Uh, and it really convicted Chuck that he hadn't really had much of a compassion for them, and he he really had a change of heart so that he wanted to get to know these people and find out what made them tick. And he actually told his teenage daughter if she ever found a hippie to bring him home, he wanted to talk to him. And she picked up uh, a young man who was a hippie and brought him home, and Chuck really took to him. And and, uh, Lonnie Frisbee was a hippie who had become a Christian shortly before and was introduced to Chuck. And Chuck actually let Lonnie come and preach on Wednesday nights at at the church. And Lonnie looked like you know, the old pictures of Jesus, only with a longer beard. Yes, yes. Longer hair. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and and even dressed kind of like a Jesus character, too. Uh, but but he was uh, he was a young man who really attracted a lot of hippies in. Of course, uh, I, don't, I don't know to what degree Chuck would have attracted the hippies. Uh, being a, a middle-aged, bald uh, you know, guy, he, was, he certainly was loved by them when they came, but I don't know if they would have come as in as great numbers as uh, when Lonnie Frisbee, looking like a hippie, went out on the beaches and invited everyone to come to church on Wednesday night. Then they'd get saved and start coming and hear Chuck teach, and they'd get a good biblical foundation. And that's uh, one of the reasons the hippies came. But Chuck, uh, like I said, initially didn't like the hippies, and, and once he came to around to seeing the value of welcoming, welcoming them into the church, he had a little trouble with one of his uh, associate pastors who didn't like the hippies, a pastor, Romaine, who was, uh, had been a Marine and was now the associate pastor, put up a sign on the door before one of the services saying, no Levi's or bare feet in the church. And Chuck got there before the meeting started and tore the sign down and said, who put the sign up? And Pastor Romaine said, I did, because the hippies, uh, their, their bare feet are soiling the carpets and their rivets on their Levi's are scratching the pews. And Chuck said, well, let's tear out the carpets and the pews hmm. uh, that Jesus people are saying. Do you think that approach, that that sense of making the sharing the gospel in a fashion that makes Jesus approachable and meets people where they're at? And, you know, I, I think of how many times that we see throughout the gospels, Jesus going to the woman of the well, for example, uh, who meets her exactly where she's at, 
and and in fact kind of calls her maybe attempted bluff um, and and makes it very apparent that he is there to love her just as she is and that the notion that we somehow have to clean up our life, get our act together before we can come to God is really contrarian to the core message of the gospel. Do you think the church needs to, to refocus more of that so that we can make Jesus more approachable as opposed to some people that just still get a little bit turned off by um, some of the more ivory tower uh, manners in which sometimes Christians will act? Well, I mean, I think modern churches are much more casual than they used to be before the Jesus movement. I think Chuck Smith's church started a revolution where, you know, they don't always have organ music at churches anymore and people wear suits anymore. Uh, it's a lot more casual, but uh, it has to have uh, substance, too. There has to be a real, pre- real presentation of, of who God is in the Scriptures. Now, I do think the Church has sometimes gotten it wrong and depicted God as one who has a default attitude of being the enemy of sinners, and just so angry at sinners that if they just don't don't repent in just the right way and get it quite right, uh, he's going to you know flame out in wrath toward them. But Jesus, of course, who is the best depiction of God that we've ever had, was described as being a friend of sinners. It was the religious people who didn't like him, and because he was he reached out to sinners. Now he didn't he didn't affirm their sin. He was calling them to repentance when he was criticized for hanging out with that kind of people. He said, well, those who are sick are the ones who need a physician, not those who are well. He said, I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So clearly he wasn't just affirming them in their lifestyle, but he was not rejecting them in their lifestyle either. He was he was uh, associating with them in a friendly manner and calling them out of that lifestyle to do something uh, greater, and that is to be part of his kingdom. Our visit today with Steve Gregg, the new host here on KFAX, Monday through Fridays at 2 p.m. He also has a reprise broadcast that you can enjoy at 12 midnight. The program is called The Narrow Path, and of course you can call in in the afternoons from 2 to 3 p.m. and get your questions answered live on the air with Steve Gregg. We take a brief time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation right after an update on traffic for you here at 531. Let's see what's going on. Well, my screen says we've got an update for you. Uh, that's actually coming from Microsoft, but I, <laughs> I bet Michael Bennett's got one as well. Let's see what he has to say. And there's no, we will have to reboot the car after we get this update. Just asking. Let's see what's going on, Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. Steve Gregg, our guest. Steve, by the way, is the host of The Narrow Path. Can be heard Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX. Information available on the web at thenarrowpath.com. That's thenarrowpath.com. Is that .com or .org? You know, it is .com, but we also have the .org. Okay, thought I'd ask only because occasionally I say .com by accident or .org by accident, depending upon what. So just didn't want to send uh, folks in the wrong place. It's always been .com, but recently we added .org to it. So Good to know. That works, too. Speaking of the narrow path, um, I read somewhere that you the show is now in its 21st year? Yeah, yeah. We started in 1997 on one station in Oregon, and then the next year we added one station in um, Salinas. And then, uh, you know, we, we began growing very slowly from there. I, I don't do much to promote the program, and or, and we don't do any fundraising, and we don't have any sponsors, so we just wait. As the Lord provides, and when we have enough money, we go on to another station. Right now, I think we're on about 
if I'm not mistaken, about 32 stations. Wow. Well, that's that's an impressive number, uh, particularly in knowing what it takes to do radio. And and in terms of the the initial vision here, what what was it that you felt uh, God leading you into when you first started the radio ministry? Well, uh, maybe unlike some people in the radio, I've never I've never really thought of myself as a radio personality. I'm I was a Bible teacher for many years before I was on the radio, and I was first interviewed on another man's talk show in Oregon many many years ago before I had my own show. And uh, he had me on because I ran a Bible school in Oregon. And and before the show, he said, well, what would you like to talk about on the program? I said, well, nothing in particular. Why don't you just have your listeners call in with Bible questions? He said, okay. So we did that for two hours. And uh, it went over well. So he had me do it again another time, maybe a month later. And eventually, I became a regular guest. And then eventually a guest host when he had to be away. So I, I started guest hosting for him once a week. Uh, for six or seven years, it seems like. And then finally, he's the one who, who said, you know, I think you could be successful with your own radio show. And uh, and I said, well, I don't know anything about the radio business. He said, I'll do all this legwork. And he did. He actually made arrangements with the radio station that he was on to sell me uh, the hour before his. And uh, he produced my program for the first year free of charge. And he did all kinds of good things for me. So that's how we got started. And then uh, he did that for me for several years. And eventually... We got other volunteers doing a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I, out of uh, curiosity, was that in Portland or what part of Oregon? That was in Albany, Oregon. That was on a, a station that was called KHPE, which used to be uh, more Christian talk, but now it's more. I think it's music now. And we're not on that station now. The 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 passion and the experience. I mean, especially if you have a, a, a fire in the belly, as they say for teaching God's Word, something like this where you get a chance to do what a lot of pastors, I think, wish they could do. You get up and you do the Sunday morning sermon, and I've had guys say to me, you know, if I could only have an environment where after I give the sermon, I could spend an hour taking questions to make sure that when people walk out of church on Sunday, they really get it, and they really know how to apply it, and they really understand more about what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus. But, of course, there's a practical side to that. So, in a sense, you get a chance to do something that even a lot of pastors don't have an opportunity to do. I I really agree. I I feel like what I'm doing is more enjoyable than pastoring a church. The pastors do all the hard work. I just show up at the microphone once uh, a day to talk to people who have questions, and I've been doing that since I was a teenager. Actually, uh, when I was 16 or 17 years old, Walter Martin started the Bible Answer Man program, and I used to listen to that, and I used to think, well, what an enjoyable thing that would be to have people call up with Bible questions, and you just get to answer them for them. But I never thought I'd have my own show of the same sort, but of course, now I do. Uh, now, don't don't say that it's easy too loud, because I've got the boss convinced that this is the toughest job in the whole building. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let, let's, let's talk about your passion for the Word, and, and particularly as it relates to discipleship. You know, the, the one thing that... that both um, drives me on and also I think frustrates me sometimes is to see the level at which people either misapply God's Word or have simply somehow come up through years in the pews and never really come to a full understanding of just the basics of the faith. For example, we're coming up on Easter again soon, and it was Easter of a few years ago on the program. We did open lines and said, just, you know, share with us 
what it is about the Easter message that means so much to you. And I had one caller call up and say, oh, I've been a believer for so many years and said that, you know, um, there's a lot of talk about the resurrection, but I don't know that that necessarily really had to actually happen. I mean, you know, it, it was just sort of in a figurative sense. It, it it really wouldn't make any difference because the message of Jesus about love and, and mercy and compassion is just so wonderful. And, and I, my jaw was dropping hearing this, especially as the person had voluntarily at the beginning of their their comments uh, referenced the fact that they had come to Christ many years ago and had been a member of a church for right. X number of years. And I thought, so you've spent all these years, 20 years, sitting there in church every Sunday, and you somehow have drawn the erroneous conclusion that Christ did not have to bodily resurrect to make all of this Christian experience real or true. And I thought to myself, dear person, you've just, if that were the case, you have just completely pulled the entire rug out of Christianity and made all of it for naught. Well, that's what Paul said. If Christ has not risen, then, the, then all his preaching was in vain. I think that person probably was not in an evangelical church. A lot of people say they've been Christians a long time, but they're going to churches that are more liberal, or, or maybe maybe regarded as evangelical, but they just don't preach the Word of God at all. Lots of them don't. I think that even in a church where the Bible is preached uh, and biblical doctrine is well understood, people often still haven't been very well discipled. I remember when I was, I mentioned I was an elder for a while at Calvary Chapel in Santa Cruz back in the 80s. And at at one of our elders meetings, one of my fellow elders said something that really hit me, and I'd never thought of it. He says, you know, we spend all our time uh, redeeming people's souls, but we, their whole lives need to be redeemed. We need to redeem their family life, their, their financial conduct, their, uh, you know, how they deal with their neighbors, how they deal with their enemies, uh, you know, there's all kind how they work, what their work ethic is. All these things need to be redeemed, because to, to glorify God in all things requires that we apply the Word of God to all areas of life. And I had just never, I don't know why I hadn't thought of it that way, but I've realized that it's so true. There are people who can, they can tell you why the resurrection was an important doctrine, or they can tell you good Christian doctrine, but their lives aren't lived very much like a Christian. And uh, that, that is something that needs to be discipled as well. Uh, people need to be... T- well, Jesus said we should make disciples, teaching them to observe everything he commanded. Well, everything he commanded was... That's a lot of territory. He did a lot of commanding about relationships and about finances and about, you know, our uh, devotional lives, all kinds of things, which a lot of times people have been Christians a long time, and they can tell you the gospel reasonably accurately, but their lives are not really redeemed. That is, their behavior is not really redeemed, um, as I believe Christ intends for them to be. Well, sometimes I think, too, that we we find it convenient to sort of... um um, what's the term I'm looking for? Pigeonhole aspects of life. And and you're right. I think we've all run into individuals um, who will, uh, with great vim and vinegar, tell you about their conversion experience, and they can tell you the date and the time, the location, and uh, and certainly uh, can tell you much about uh, sin and grace and, and whatnot. And yet the the impact of that overarching redemption that Christ provides, not just from the wages of sin, 
But as you point out, sometimes short-circuiting that process, that would include things like, well, you've lived an entire lifetime during which sin has corrupted your thinking, your money, your marriage, your sex life, uh, the way you relate and raise your kids, every aspect of it. And and all of those things need to be redeemed and, and brought under submission of Christ as well. But that just doesn't happen overnight, does it? That's correct. And that's, that's uh, you know, we're changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ as we are beholding him, uh, and we need to be looking at him as our role model and hearing what he has to say and, and hearing him speak into our lives and be our shepherd and lead us. And, and as we do, we're supposed to be transformed into something different than we were before. And, uh, and that something is supposed to become more and more like Christ himself, so that when people encounter us in any circumstance of life, they feel more that they they know more what Jesus is like because they've been with us. That's the goal. And that's living out that, that lifestyle evangelism as well, which really gets to the core of what discipleship is all about. I want to talk a bit about that when we come back after the break. We're visiting with Steve Gregg. Steve is the host of The Narrow Path, heard on KFAX Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. And if you're at work or can't catch the broadcast live, you can catch the entire broadcast at the evening hour at 12 midnight, you're not going to bed. Come on. You're going to try to tell me 9 o'clock at night you're in bed? Come on. You're, see, like in Jarrell's case, he won't even make eye contact with me because he knows I'm not going to buy that. 1 o'clock, 2.30, <laughs> right, midnight for the Narrow Path reprise broadcast live at 2 p.m. right here on KFAX with Steve Gregg. Let's take that time out, get you updated on traffic. See what's up out there with uh, Michael Bennett, the latest. He's got another one of those non-reboot-the-car updates here on uh, your ride home. What's going on, Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our conversation with Steve Gregg continues. Be sure to check out his program, new here on KFAX at 2 p.m. Monday through Friday. It's called The Narrow Path. And, of course, you can always uh, catch the broadcast in the evening at midnight on KFAX. Information available on the web at thenarrowpath.com. Easy to remember, thenarrowpath.com. Let's talk a bit about this issue of discipleship, Steve. Boy, there's a word that, that sadly in some corners seems to kind of be going out of style. A lot of folks go to church because they want to be seen. They go to church because the pastor gets up and gives them a nice, uh, exciting, pump up, feel good about myself sermon. And we go out and feel like we're ready to take on the world. But this business of sharing our faith, I don't know, you know, I'm not really a professional, so uh, I don't feel like really God's called me to do that. And the, and the notion of either being a disciple or, uh, more, more specifically put, knowing how to make disciples is something that seems to, sadly, a growing percentage of Christians, kind of a foreign concept. Well, uh yeah, being a disciple is the first responsibility, and then making disciples be secondary. I think a lot of people who have not learned how to be a disciple are out doing evangelism, hoping to make disciples, and they don't even know what it means to follow Christ uh, in every area of life. Jesus said in John eight thirty one, "If you continue in my words, then you are my disciples indeed." And so, a real disciple is one who continues living by the words of Christ. Like, like his disciples were being taught to do, who were walking around with him when he was here on earth. And when we are living uh, in the way that Christ tells us to live, then we are going to be influential on others. We, we might be evangelists, we might be teachers, we might be pastors, we might be something else, but 
it's our life that's like Jesus that really is going to make the impact most of all. I mean, you were talking about Billy Graham in, our, in the first half hour, how that you feel, and I agree with you, that perhaps the greatest impact that he had uh, was in the way he lived, that he, had a, he lived uh, a godly, uh, scandal-free uh, life consistent with what he was preaching. And this is something that too many people have not seen in Christians, uh, because sometimes it's not there in them. Uh, some Christians just aren't living uh, very consistently as Christians are supposed to live. And then when they hear the gospel, I mean, the average person who has never seen an example of a Christian who lives like Christ, uh, they hear the gospel, it, it just sounds hollow to them, I think. It doesn't, it doesn't come with conviction. In the book of Acts, we read at the end of chapter 2 that when the apostles had converted 3,000 people, those people met together, and they had a changed lifestyle, a changed community. They shared their goods with each other. They continued daily in the apostles' preaching and in fellowship and prayers and breaking bread. And they had a, a, a transformation in their lives that was impressive, although most of those people, as far as we know, were not out preaching. We read then with great boldness and great power, the apostles went out and gave witness to the resurrection of Christ, so that when the apostles gave witness uh, to the resurrection, behind that verbal witness was the visible witness of the transformed lives of the Christians, so that when people who are not Christians heard that message, they, they, they realized, you know, he's talking about becoming like these people here, which means loving each other, looking out for each other, sharing with each other, uh, traveling together the road of, uh, of following Jesus and uh, learning together and praying together. I mean, this whole, this whole community dynamic of the early Church, I think, had as much impact on the community around them, the unbelievers, as the preaching itself. Although the preaching of the Apostles had to be mighty powerful, uh, even powerful preaching can fall on deaf ears if people have a bad impression of what Christians are like. Uh, they might say, well, the message sounds good, but it didn't do much good for those people over there who are Christians. So. I'm not going to follow it. Yeah, what's the old, the old saying? Uh, some people have never made a decision for Christ because they've never met a Christian. Other people have never made a decision for Christ because they have met a Christian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's a very similar. It's very similar to you know the, the best evidence for Christianity is the church, and the worst evidence for against Christianity. <laughs> is uh, is the church also. But you also make, I think, Steve, a very valid point, and that is this. I mean, uh, you were talking about evidence there, and, and immediately Josh McDowell's book, uh, the bestseller, uh, Evidence That uh, Demands a Verdict, uh, came to mind. And a lot of people think, well, you know, specifically that means to historical evidence and archaeological evidence and biblical evidence. But at the end of the day, if that list of evidence for the the historicity and validity of of Christ and what he came to do um if if that's not also borne out if there's not clear cut evidence in our own lives and is it any wonder that sometimes the church is impotent because that one key component of of the changed life, the new creation, the new creature in, in Christ, if that's not lived out as, as proof positive in front of others, is it any wonder that some people say, you know, I met you Christians, and quite frankly, uh, you seem to be just as as, as uh, sin-burdened and miserable as the rest of us, so wh- wh- what what is there about following your Jesus that I should want? Well, honestly, I think a lot of non-Christians have never seen a very good example of a Christian, or if they have, it seems like an anomaly, because they think, well, most Christians I don't haven't been that way, so this person must be just a nice person, and it doesn't necessarily make an impact until Christians in general start living for Christ, 
like like I mentioned in Acts chapter two, the whole community of Christians made an impact by their by their communal love for one another and and the testimony of the of the, the church corporately. You know, the uh, there's a couple of stories in the old te- or in the New Testament that actually illustrate what you're saying. And one is the story of the man who was born blind in John chapter nine that Jesus healed him, and then the man was taken in front of the authorities who were against Christ, saying that Christ had done the wrong thing by healing on the Sabbath. And the man said, well, I don't know any of that theology stuff. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And he, he wasn't able to bring any apologetics arguments to say, well, no, he, although he healed on the Sabbath, he's still probably the Son of God. I, he, I can explain that. He, didn't, he couldn't explain it. He just said, all I know is I'm seeing now, and I wasn't before. And it was, it was the change in that man's life that made them so uh, frustrated in not being able to disprove him. The other case is when the apostles in the book of Acts were brought before the Sanhedrin because they had healed a man uh, uh, by the beautiful gate, and they also uh, did not bring a, a lot of apologetics. They gave their testimony about Christ risen, but it says when the Sanhedrin saw them, that they were uh, ordinary men, unschooled men, and that they'd been with Jesus, and they saw the man who'd been healed. It says they were speechless. They couldn't answer the apostles. The apostles didn't give a great philosophical arguments for Christianity, but they, they were men who, you could tell by looking at them, they'd been with Jesus. They were like him, and, they, and here's a man whose life had been changed because of it. So a lot of times, although I'm, I'm an apologist, I do, I, I love to give the arguments for Christianity, and I'd love to debate any non-Christian on the points of evidence, but uh, the truth is, until people see changed lives, uh, they're not necessarily going to be that impressed with the uh, arguments, and it's an old saying, certainly not very original, but when people say, you know, I, I can't hear a thing you say because, uh, you know, what you're doing shouts so loud. That's, that's a, that really is a true thing with many people, or, or when it says that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Those are, those are statements that become cliches, but they're good cliches because they, they point out that just knowing the right answers and making the right arguments it doesn't always make the impression that we're hoping it will. We might win the argument and still the person walk away unconverted because they were not impacted by a changed life. Yeah, the, the old adage, we win the battle, but we lose the war. And, you know, it's interesting if you look at this from the, the, the broader historical perspective and think about um, how many years of certainly the first century church that had no access to God's written word because, the, well, in part, they hadn't invented the Gutenberg hadn't come along yet. And then you think about the number of places around the planet yet today that do not have access to the printed word. And yet, and I, I, I think of a man I met one time in Outer Mongolia in China that had been a Christian for 50 or 60 years at the time that we met him. And here is a man who in his life um, had never seen more than a page or two, not a book, not the entire Bible, but a page or two of God's Word, but that some missionary walking through his village shared the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man surrendered his life to the Lord. He had no advantage of attending a church, Bible school, Bible study, no Christian radio, no Bible tracts, none of it. But on one or two occasions, he had seen copies of pages uh, that had been razor-bladed out of a Bible and had a little bit, at least, of exposure to God's Word. But we're talking, you know, a a mere smattering against the totality of, of God's Word. And yet this man had lived out a life 
50, 60 years in Christ and recounted event after event, story after story, where God showed himself, where God demonstrated his love, where God was active in this man's life. And he made the comment at the time, he says, I I don't know a lot of Bible scripture, but I know that I know that I know. And here is a man who was so steadfastly convinced in his life experience because of the vibrancy of his personal relationship. He knew that he had communed with very God himself. And uh, wow, you think about the impact like that and what that life means in terms of being able to show impact towards others is phenomenal. Amen. Amen. Well, Steve, we appreciate your time on the program, and uh, we invite our listeners to make a habit to uh, check out The Narrow Path again Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. right here on KFX with a reprise broadcast at uh, midnight. I understand you've also just started a new uh, Bible study series on the program. Tell us about that. Uh, a new Bible study series? It's not on the program. It's uh, actually on the website. Ah. And it's not, not so much so that we have uh, my, my lectures verse by verse through the entire Bible are at the website on MP3 files, and they're free. People can just listen to them or download them. And there are hundreds, about 900 uh, lectures there, and they are all free. So if people want to go to thenarrowpath.com, and they can check either under the verse-by-verse lectures or the topical lectures, and they'll see there's hundreds of in-depth biblical studies, and that's, a lot of people are going through those. Wonderful. Well, certainly a great resource both on the Internet, again, at thenarrowpath.com. That's thenarrowpath.com, or to check out the broadcast, The Narrow Path, Monday through Friday, 2 p.m. and 12 midnight, right here on KFAX with Steve Gregg. Steve, thanks again for the time. We're right here at 6 o'clock. Let's get an update for you on traffic right now. Just ahead of some headline news, we'll swing over to the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael Bennett, what's up out there? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.